Genesis chapter 39. If you're able to stand this morning out of respect for the Word of God, let's stand to read the Scriptures this morning. Not a lengthy portion of Scripture. I appreciate those that are visiting with us today, allowing me to be a pastor and share some things. And, of course, recognize the Bible says give honor to where honor is due. We're certainly thankful for our deacons. Keep praying for Brother Flynn. That hopefully the doctors are able to find out and help him. We continue our series this morning on It Is Well. And uh, this morning, God's brought me to this chapter here, Genesis chapter 39, which all of these messages are out of the scriptures based on the life of Joseph. And the Joseph's a wonderful study in the Word of God. And this morning, we're going to talk about how it's well, even in trials. Anybody ever had a trial? Yeah, that's what I thought. I figured I was among company here. But a couple verses this morning, Genesis 39, if you would read along with me, Genesis 39, beginning in verse number one, Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now you remember how in weeks past that Joseph got around his brothers and his brothers didn't like Joseph and his dreams. Remember that? We studied that. And Joseph had the coat of many colors that he received from his father. And uh, his brothers conspired together and they tossed him in a pit. And then here comes these Ishmaelites heading down to Egypt to sell their products, their wares. And uh, Joseph's brothers fished him out of the pit and they sold him to the Ishmaelites. And so this morning we'll pick up the story right there. But let's ask God to bless our time together. Lord, thank you again. Pray that you'd bless the word and help us as many of us raised our hand that we have experienced and endured trials in our lives. God, show us what you were showing Joseph. Help us to understand that even in trials, it is well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As we look at this portion of scripture, Joseph is traveling deeper into the heart of Egypt. I've got a map to show you how Joseph is making that journey and he's traveling down to, notice here he's left Canaan, he's traveling down as he's being sold down to where uh, Egypt is, Potiphar and course Pharaoh and into a foreign land and as Joseph's making this journey he is doing like many of us would do he's looking at things he's trying to uh, visualize he's trying to understand the place that he's going to he began to see the wonders of this faraway land he saw because it was Egypt he saw the pyramids and he saw uh, the mansions that were so nice for the wealthy right next to maybe some mud huts for the poor of that day in Egypt's land. And as he goes to this land, Egypt, he begins his new life, not quite like what we would want or what we would envision, but he begins his new life as a slave. He's taken there as a slave. And back in that day, as we just read in one of the verses, Joseph, like many slaves, was placed on an auction block. He was placed there. Bidding began for him, and the Bible tells us that the captain of the king's guard, 
saw something that was unique about Joseph. I don't know exactly what it was, but they began to bid on this 18-year-old boy that uh, eventually the captain of the guard won the bid. And so Potiphar, as Joseph is took into his care under his watch, Potiphar also begins to notice some of Joseph's gifts that he had. And he realized that there's something about this Joseph. One thing was he had probably never really seen, or it had been just a few what he would call honest slaves. Most of them were very dishonest. And so Joseph was unlike most others. In other words, like Potiphar began to think, like hopefully you've begun to think over these past couple messages, that what a find Joseph was for Potiphar. I think to myself, when you get around somebody who is honest, that knows the Lord, what a find. Now, what a blessing to meet people like that. Joseph was such a man just like that. Now, uh, some of the most encouraging words that, that I want you to look at this morning are some words. Look back in chapter 39, look at verse 1 again. Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither, and the Lord was with Joseph. Let's say that together. The Lord was with Joseph. I hope the Lord's with you today. Because I'm going to tell you something. Everything is better when the Lord's with you. Can I tell you, you don't have to go through life alone. It's much better to go through life with God than to go through life without God. And the Bible tells us, and that's encouraging to me, that Joseph was a man that the Lord was with him. No matter where we find Joseph, watch this, no matter where Joseph is, in the pit, in the prison, or in the palace, the Lord was with Joseph in the pit, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and the Lord was with Joseph in the palace. No matter where you are, that's why you can say, even when the trials come, that it is well. Why? Because the Lord is with you. You see, the Lord was with Joseph. What was he with Joseph with? Notice here, the Lord was with his management. The Bible tells us in verse number two, again, the Lord was with Joseph. And the Bible says, and he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight. And he served him and made him overseer over his house and all that he had he put under into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he was, had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Joseph, you know, when I read those verses, it reminds me of Psalm 1. Joseph was just like that blessed man in Psalm 1. Look at it in your notes. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth 
his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's what the Bible says about Joseph. Everything Joseph had a part in, everything that Joseph was put under Joseph's care, everything that Joseph touched, it was all being blessed by God because the Lord was with him. No doubt, Joseph had would have preferred, certainly I think it's easy to say, Joseph would have rather been back at home than to be in Egypt. But you know what? God put him there. God allowed Joseph to go into Egypt. And the thing I love about Joseph is that Joseph allowed the things that happened into his life. And here's, watch this, unlike many people that I've met, he made the most out of what God gave to him. He says, you know what? He says, God put me here. This is the circumstances God's allowed in my life. I'm going to make the best out of it. Proverbs 22, 29. Seest thou a man diligent in, in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. God put Joseph in a place where he could stand before even some of the most influential, some of the most powerful, some of the most richest people of the day that God put him there. And the Lord was with his management. Now, there's places in the Bible, and I know sometimes people struggle with this, but one of the places in Matthew 25, and we won't turn there this morning, but in Matthew 25, Jesus taught a parable, a teaching about three servants. If you remember it, Jesus gives to each one of them a different amount, and the Bible says as he gave that, their master entrusted them with the sum of money. By the way, that analogy is the same as you and I. God is entrusting you. God is entrusting me with the resources that we have, and God wants to see what we're going to do with it. And the Bible tells us here that each servant had been given a different amount of money. And two of the servants, as you study that passage, they actually were commended. They are actually praised because they were diligent with what they had been given. They took it and put it to the usury. They took it and they made more with what they had been given. They did something. Listen, God's not pleased when he gives us something and we just squander it. Or he gives us something and we just sit on it. God wants us to do something with it. But if you remember that parable in Matthew 25, there was a third servant. And instead of being commended, he was actually condemned by the Lord because he did absolutely nothing with what God had given to him. The point of that is this, just like in Joseph's life, that we need to take what we have and we need to use it for the Lord. We need, to, we need to realize that God has given it to us. And when Joseph went to Egypt's land, here was the theme of Joseph's life, although it, it, the words had not yet been written by Paul when he was in prison. But the Bible says in Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in respect of want. He says, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, no matter where I'm at, no matter what circumstances are going on in my life, therewith to be what? Content. Now, so many people, so many Christians are so discontent. They're not happy about who they are, what they look like, uh, what their job is. Discontentment. Joseph, God was with him 
in his management. Notice also the Lord was with him in his morality. As we think about this, let's read on in our text in verse number 7. Look what the Bible says. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. By the way, do you notice here that, remember the verses we read from verse 2 to verse 6? How the Bible is talking about how he was blessed, how God was with him, all these things. And, and then all of a sudden you get to verse number 7, and what's the first four, five words? Say it out loud. It came to pass. You know, if you've lived for God long enough, you realize that when God's working in your life, God's blessing, the devil's not happy. And the devil's going to do anything he can to derail you as a Christian, to sideline you. The devil doesn't want you to have God's blessings. You know why? Because the devil's miserable and he wants you to be miserable with him. What you need to say when the devil starts knocking on your door Get thee behind me, Satan. And the Bible says here in verse number 7 that after these things, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said to him, Lie with me. But he refused. Amen for that. And said to his master's wife, Behold, my master uh, wouldeth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, Joseph said, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? Verse 10. Look at the words. And it came to pass. As she spake to Joseph day by day. That's what the devil does. That's one of his tactics. Wear you down. Here she is, day by day, that he hearkened not. There it is again. Thank God for Joseph. He hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And, there, and it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. He was there on the king's business. He was doing his job. And the Bible says that he, as he went there, that there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment. Remember that coat? Saying, lie with me. And he left his garment. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. That might have been precious to Joseph, but it wasn't worth it. Joseph said, there is something more important to me in life than a piece of clothing. And it's my testimony. And the Bible says that he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Now this was intense. This was a daily struggle for Joseph. When you look at the end of verse number 6, the Bible indicates there in verse 6 that Joseph was a goodly person. He was well favored. That means that Joseph probably was a pretty good looking guy. He was handsome. And, and the Bible says here that, that every day this woman, day by day, He's, he's a man. He's receiving this enticing invitation from this woman, and, and it's all geared towards the flesh. I mean, think about this. If Joseph gave in to this woman's demand, her invitation, who would have known? He was in a foreign land. 
Nobody knew Joseph there. I mean, he could have given in to this situation. He was a man just like any other man in this room this morning, a man driven by passion. But Jesus said in the word of God, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Romans 7, for I, Paul writes, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Galatians 5, this I say then, watch this, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Because the, le- the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. You think about your flesh. I mean, look, every one of us from time to time, the flesh gives in. It's often the flesh is willing to trade anything for immediate satisfaction. Here's an example. You go to the store, you're not even hungry. And you check out, and you're going to the car, and you look in the bags, and you've got mega double stuff Oreos in your bag. The flesh is weak. Joseph found himself in a situation where oftentimes we think about this, how our flesh craves that which we cannot have. Brother Ian's here somewhere, right here. Brother Ian turned 30 yesterday. Brother Ian was trying to be a blessing this morning, and he said, hey, he called my wife and I back there, and and he opened up the refrigerator back there. Maybe I shouldn't tell this. I don't know. I just thought of that. I'm sorry. Might have to get more. But uh, he takes me back there, and he says, hey, Pastor, he says, look, you and your wife want something. He opens this box, and there's a red velvet cake. Oh, my soul. I don't even know. Did you know that was my favorite? No. Cheesecake. All right. And I looked at that, and I said, oh, Brother Ian. I said, I can't have it. I said, I haven't had sugar in over three weeks. And I said, I said to him, I said, thank you for that. Now, don't go back and take his red velvet cake. <laughs> it's Ian's. But I'm going to tell you something. Our body craves what it cannot have, right? I mean, especially if somebody says, you can't have this. Our nature is, we take it. We want it. Here he is, a a red-blooded man in this situation. And we find here that oftentimes, just like Joseph, we see that Satan seeks to destroy us in any way as a Christian that he can. And this particular way, he was using adultery to try to destroy the life of Joseph. Can I tell you that adultery destroys many things, but one thing it does destroy is the picture that the Bible teaches between Christ and the church. You see, it's a, that's a beautiful picture when you think of it, of the love, pure love that it displays. Notice a couple of thoughts about adultery this morning, how adultery begins in the heart. You know what adultery really is? It is the forsaking of a covenant. Some of you that are in here that got married, you stood maybe on a platform or an altar or maybe the justice of the peace or wherever, maybe you got married and watch this, you said, till death do us part. For better, for worse. 
Some of you have learned the hard way for richer, for poorer. You're thinking, boy, I wish those words wouldn't have been in there because I'm living it right now. But think about this, is that every one of us need to understand that, that this matter of adultery is a forsaking of a covenant, and it can be committed in more than one way than a physical act. A lot of people today, and maybe even some this morning, would say something that, like this to themselves, I've never committed adultery, and I never will. They might think, well, this doesn't really apply to me. But if you start to think about your own life, you start to inspect your heart, you might come up with some different conclusions about your own innocence or guilt before God. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Look at the words. He said them. I didn't. Here's what it says. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already, where? In his heart. That's not a physical act. That means you just looked at her. That's why we've got to make sure that, that as we dress and what we look at, that, that our minds stay pure, that we keep, we keep our eyes where they belong instead of looking at things that they ought not to be looking at. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I'm going to tell you something. If you're like me, you turn on the television, you're driving down the highway, and there's a bulletin board. Look, your eye is going to see things. We live in a world where there's pop-ups on the Internet, all kinds of things, and it's going to happen like that. You know what you need to do as soon as that happens? You need to say, Lord, please forgive me. Keep a short account with God. Don't let sin build up in your life. You know why? Because adultery begins in the heart. And Joseph was very careful about this. Notice secondly about adultery. It comes from a lack of understanding. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. Now certainly I've seen the effects of someone that commits adultery with someone else, that we find what it does to the family. But this verse says that it destroys his own soul. Satan uses adultery much like, and many of you have experienced this, like a car salesman that's trying to get you into that car. You ever heard a car salesman say something like this? What can I do to make this happen today? The car that we now have. Now, uh, we, we felt very comfortable. We felt like, that, that God was kind of leading us to that car, and we still feel that way. But w- remember when we were supposed to have the hurricane back in, in, what was it, September or whatever? It was heading right towards us. Guess where my wife and I were at? The car dealership. I mean, here we are, hurricanes barreling down on South Florida. And, and there we are sitting in the, the, the car place, and, and I look around, and I think I saw a lady in the the, the office, two offices down, but everybody else, there was no customers, and, and they, they weren't going to give us much for our trade-in on our car, and my wife says, listen, before I let you have it for that, I'm going to give it to somebody before I just give it to you like that, and, 
And, and so the manager came in and says, oh no, we want to make this happen today. You know why? Because there were no other suckers that were in there while the hurricane was bailing down on them except for us. And that's why we, we, we got the car and we got everything that we wanted. They pro- probably would have promised us the moon that day. You know, that's what used car sales do is they say, what can I do? How can I make this possible for you right now? They start to tell you things like, listen, you deserve this. Another opportunity like this may never come again. They might say something like, just sit down and I'll, I'll get everything ready. Look, Satan never wants you to think about the future. He only wants to, you to think about the now. And that's a problem. Because when we commit adultery, we never consider what it's going to do to others and what it's going to do to us. See, it begins in the heart. And it comes from a lack of understanding. The consequences of walking through the door of desire. I think I included them in your notes. What are they? We grieve the one who redeemed us. That would be the Lord Jesus. We drag his sacred name through the mud. We will have to look at him one day like Peter did when he denied the Lord. We're going to have to look at him and give an account one day of the life that we've lived. We inflict hurt on our spouse. We lose their respect, their love, their trust for us. We hurt our children in the process. We destroy our testimony and our credibility, and we shame our family. And most of all, we bring reproach upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, all because we step through the door of desire. But what does the Bible say? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Do you know those words are not offense to keep you away from something good? Those words, thou shalt not commit adultery, they are offense to keep grief, sorrow, and shame out so that your life will not be destroyed. See, adultery begins in the heart. It comes from a lack of understanding. Notice, it demonstrates a distorted view of love and commitment. A distorted view. The greatest contributor to divorce is not incompatibility. A lot of people say, well, I just don't love him anymore. I, don't, I just don't love her anymore. No, the greatest con- contribution to divorce is irresponsibility, selfishness, and a lack of commitment. That's what destroys a relationship. See, adultery is the focus on one's own personal desires. That's, that's what his wife, she was all, hey, hey, lie with me. Let's have a great time. Do you know there are people right now that went out last night and partied all night and couldn't get out of bed in the morning? Why? Because they gave in to something that was pleasure for a season. See, we look at Joseph's life and we understand that God keeps his promises, that, that God in his covenant that with us, that his covenant is binding. God cannot break his covenant with us. You know why? Because God is faithful to himself And his faithfulness is based on his character and not on ours. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. That's talking about our God. And that's why, look, if you're here this morning and and you've been struggling in your relationship, maybe you have a spouse that's maybe being a little unfaithful. When you read those words that God abideth yet faithful to us, a people who are not faithful to him, that ought to be a pretty good indicator that even though you may have an unfaithful spouse, that you can remain faithful to him or her because God remains faithful to us. And when I think about this, I look at Joseph's life and I think, well, what are the keys? What was it that was a key in Joseph's life to give him victory? 
I mean, I love to study people in the Bible and see what they did and how they made it through. Here's Joseph going through a trial. A lot of you raised your hand. I've been going through some trials. I've been through a trial. And some of you might say, right now I'm going through something. I, I might be able to learn something from Joseph here. What was it that helped Joseph as he went through this trial? Well, notice, because as I look at these keys, I understand right away, and, and you study the passage, and you, you hear Joseph, and then you hear his master's wife, and you hear the conversation going back and forth between the two of them. It's evident to me that Joseph had a different understanding of his reality more than Potiphar's wife. Look at, look at a couple of things here that were key for him. Number one, he knew how he would answer. Look at verse number nine. Here's what he says. There's none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The word God there is actually a different word than what is used in verse number two. In verse number two, the word for God is the word Jehovah. That's actually the covenant name that the Bible uses for God. But while Joseph was going down into Egypt as a slave, God was keeping his promise. That's the covenant God that Joseph knew. By the way, every promise that God has ever made to you in his word, God will keep his promise. He is a covenant-keeping God. But in verse number 9, the word for God is not Jehovah. It's actually the word Elohim. And the word Elohim deals with the aspect of God of power or might. Joseph knew, watch this, he knew that while Potiphar was his boss, that ultimately God was in control. See, some of you, you, you have a job and your boss is difficult, and from, from 8 to 5 or whatever your hours are at work, that person is your boss. But understand, if you're a Christian, ultimately God is in control. God's in charge, and he was in Joseph's day, and Joseph says, look, I will not sin against God. He couldn't do it. He recognized that his sin was something that was, that sin would be grievous to God, much like David recognized. We heard that during our revival service with Brother Paul. He noticed again, Psalm 51 and verse 4, where David cries out against thee, thee only have I sinned, done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Notice Joseph, the key was that he knew what he would answer. Secondly, he knew his audience. Joseph knew that he and Potiphar's wife, remember she told me, she said, hey, nobody else is in the house. Nobody will know. And earlier when I said that, somebody says, God was there. That's true. See, Joseph wasn't alone with this woman. God was there. Remember, the Lord was with Joseph. Guess what? When she was enticing him, when she was saying, hey, lie with me, the Lord was with Joseph. You see, Joseph didn't give in. He didn't lie with her. He got out of there. It kept him from sin. It was a great source of comfort in Joseph's life that he practiced the presence of God in his life. I'm going to tell you something. If you practice the presence of God, you know what that means? When you go into some place that you ought not to be, and the first thought you have is, I'm bringing God in here. When you start to put something to your lips and you start to think to yourself, God's here with me watching me do this. 
Joseph practiced the presence of God. See, he knew his audience, but notice he knew of his authority. The Bible says again in verse number 4 that he found grace in his sight. The Bible says he served him and made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. The word hand there again is dealing with this matter of, of power or strength. It's the idea of authority. And in verse number 8, look what it says here. The Bible says, But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master woodeth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. So notice again, he's talking about all this power. Jo- Joseph knew in his heart what his limits were. And Joseph said, you know what? That's beyond my limits. That's off limits. You, his wife, is off limits. And that's the way we need to live our lives is to understand that the Lord is with us as we manage the life that he's given to us. And the Lord is with us and tries to help us to understand how we need to live a moral life before God in this world we live in. And then notice the Lord was with him in his mistreatment. Now look what it says in verse number 13. Look at the first five words again. And it came to pass. When she saw that he had left his garment into her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. Now, you figured out by now, right? Watch this. When you were a kid, liar, liar, pants on fire right? And so she goes on to say, it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garments with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, the Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Sounds like mistreatment, doesn't it? Sounds like Joseph's trial just moved from her bedroom to now a prison cell. Sounds to me like he's going from one trial to another. And when I look at this situation, what I understand, as we said earlier, is the Lord was with Joseph. See, even in this situation, God is at work. And here God continues to use, listen to this, and I don't always understand all of it, but I find Example after example in the Word of God, how God can use the sinful choices of others to bring about His perfect plan in our life. Now, as I, as I look at that, I don't believe that God made Potiphar's wife sin to get Joseph into prison, but He certainly was using that. And if God would have left, listen to me now, if God would have just left Joseph in Potiphar's house, then God's perfect will for Joseph's life and for the people known as the Israelites would have never came to pass. Something had to happen, and it was all in God's plan. But you say, well, he had to go through what he went through. 
God's trying to work in your life. God is bringing you through things in your life because God is working his perfect plan just like he did in Joseph's life. And when I think about this situation, one phrase comes to my mind, and that is this, God is good all the time, even in trials. You know, you look at this passage, and I was amazed how many times, and the Bible says here in verse number 7, look at it, the Bible says it came to pass after these things. Verse number 10, and it came to pass. Verse number 11, and it came to pass. Verse number 13, and it came to pass. Verse number 15, and it came to pass. Verse number 18, and it came to pass. Verse number 19, and it came to pass. Do you see that? You know what that little phrase, it came to pass? I, I thought, Lord, why in the world? You know what it means? Here it is, real simple. It was not meant to stay. God says it's, it's not going to last very long. Whatever trial Joseph was going through, it was soon going to pass. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Now, what's interesting is if you look back in your Bible in verse number 2 to verse number 6, look, at it says there in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. In verse number 3, the Lord was with Joseph. Interesting, when you get to verse 21, look at it. The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, because the Lord was with Joseph. Do you see that even with the trials on both sides of what Potiphar's wife and, and, and being thrown in prison, how the Lord was with him through it all. God never left him. God will not leave you or forsake you, the Bible tells us. And the Bible tells us in verse number two that Joseph, because God was with him, he was a prosperous man. The Bible says in verse number three, the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. The Bible says in verse number five, at the end of it, the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. But when you look to verse number 23, the last couple words of this chapter says that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Well, where was he? He was in prison. But he, God was still blessing him. Even in the trial, while he's in the prison, God is blessing him just like God was blessing him in the palace. And I hope you understand this morning that instead of looking around at the circumstances, what's going on in your life, and saying, oh, woe is me, Understand that God may have you right where he has you this morning because he's working his plan because God wants to bless you. God wants to use you. God wants to prosper your life. Instead, oftentimes what we do is we look at the trial and we get that Eeyore syndrome. Oh boy, here we go again. I love this thought here. Joseph found grace in his sight. You look at this passage this morning, the lesson, here's the lesson. You want, you want the, the bottom line? Here it is. The circumstances of life, they may be the result of someone's sinful choices, but God wants to use them for his good. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, that phrase, and it came to pass, it came to pass. I was thinking about that. You know why it came to pass? Because it was never meant to be our experience. Never meant to stay that way. It came to pass so we could learn something. Joseph was learning even through the palace and even through the prison. It came to pass so that 
Joseph and you and I would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord was with Joseph. Is the Lord with you today? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you had a time in your life that you've accepted the Lord by faith, trusting in Christ and Christ alone to go to heaven? I wonder this morning by an upraised hand, could you honestly before God say, I know that if this was my last day on this earth, that I would open my eyes in eternity with the Lord someday. Could you raise your hand? I'm saved and I know it. Many hands across the auditorium. You can put your hands down. If you're not saved this morning, I know this from studying this text this morning, the one thing I would say to myself is, I want the Lord to be with me the way he was with Joseph. And there's one simple way that you can, you can have that. Is by admitting that you have done some wrong in your life, that you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. And realize that God loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him, not in your good works, not in this church, not in yourself, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God doesn't want you to miss heaven. As a matter of fact, he, he wants it so much that you would go that he allowed his son to die on a cross for your sins. And it's this simple, folks. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Right there where you're sitting this morning, as the piano begins to play, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, why don't you just pray a simple prayer like this? Lord, thank you for speaking to me today. Thank you for helping me to understand that I need you. I need you like Joseph needed you. And I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and be my Savior. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I wonder this morning, every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Did anyone pray that prayer this morning? Did anyone say, Lord... I want you to be my Savior. Would you slip your hand up this morning? Pastor, I prayed that prayer. I asked Jesus to be my Savior. Would you raise your hand? You can put it up, put it right back down. Anyone at all this morning? How about you, Christian? Going through a trial? Daily temptation? The flesh is weak. What you need is the strong arm of the Lord. Don't give in. With God's help, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Let's stand to our feet this morning. The altar's open. Where's the Christian who would come this morning and say, Lord, I need your help. I'm going through a trial. Daily, I'm dealing with something. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the altar's open this morning. Why don't you come?
Why don't you come and say, Lord, I need your help with this situation. Why don't you come and rebuke Satan? Come and ask God for his strength. Joseph said, all that God has put in my hand. You think about some of you, how much God has trusted you with. What are you doing with it? Joseph said, how can I do this and sin against God? He called it wickedness. Maybe for you this morning, maybe it's your thought life. How's your thought life today? Remember the Bible says, if you just look, you've committed adultery in your heart. Is your heart pure? Are your eyes on the Lord? Maybe you want to come this morning. Something you saw. Get it right with God. 